Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. Welcome, welcome. Today I have an amazing conversation with Jerry Dugan. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Hey, Dr. G, thanks for having me on here. I can I'm excited. Dr. G, right? Yeah, Corey's <laughs> great. Corey's great. Um, I'm excited to have okay. this conversation. Uh, you bring so much to the table and so much life experience, and I just look forward to for our listeners to hear your, your story. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up as a podcaster and um, doing kind of what you do now. All right. Uh, let's see. So the short version is uh, way back. Uh, We'll go past the part where my parents met and had a child and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, so we'll go to, to college. <laughs> I was a pre-med student uh, because my mom had always told me, you're going to grow up, get good grades, be a doctor, join the army, be an officer in the army because she's from Thailand. So all the rich people she ever knew in who are American were officers in the army. And then, of course, you know. Her upbringing said that a doctor is the wealthiest in the world. So uh, put the two together. If you're an American, you got to be an officer in the army and a doctor. That was her narrative view of the world. So my upbringing was a lot of you're going to be a doctor uh, kind of thing. And it just sounded cool in a family of like blue collar workers Mm -hmm. uh, for those who had jobs, those who didn't were on welfare. So it was just like, Jerry's going to be the doctor. (laughs) And so, yeah, there I was trying to live out somebody else's dream. Uh, I barely graduated as an undergrad with a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry Biology with, I think, a 2.1 GPA. And I think that's because my faculty advisor applied a new rule instead of the one that was supposed to apply to me. And I just took the degree and I ran before the school changed their mind uh, (laughs) and before they questioned my faculty advisor. So, Dr. Richmond, if you're hearing this, thank you so much. And I am so sorry when you saw the gift of teaching in me, I, I said something really dumb and didn't pursue that idea. Um, but also Dr. Richmond know that my wife came along and she got the word into my head nice. um, just like a decade later, but she did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I left college, uh, no money, uh, not enough GPA to even apply for medical school, no money to even apply for that. Uh, but all I knew was I was going to be a doctor. So I thought, who is out there that will let me travel? Cause I'm just tired of going to class every single day of my life. So who, who will pay for me to travel? Who will pay for me to learn how to do medical work and give me the experience in that field? So my choices really boiled down to uh, the Air Force, the Navy, or the Army. And uh, (laughs) it was like just really dumb how I chose that. It was like Air Force was a no because I thought their uniforms were sissy. I I don't know why. I'm I'm sorry, Air Force guys. Uh, I've spent every year since just being jealous of you guys. (laughs) Uh, I didn't join the Navy because I have this fear of uh, two things, drowning and being eaten alive by a great white shark thanks to my dad let me watch jaws when i was seven thanks dad um and so it left the army and i was like well the army's got over 200 years of experience creating trauma and receiving trauma uh i wanted to be a trauma surgeon at the time so i thought so i joined the army as a medic uh did a tour in in germany uh during that time did a deployment to kosovo uh came back from kosovo met my wife uh, her name's Olivia. Uh, we've been together for 21 years. Uh, wow. Yeah, it, it turns out when I yeah uh, when I came back from Kosovo, she was a soldier, brand new, and uh, I was partnered up with her to teach her everything I learned from my deployment uh, because it was before 9/11. Closest mm-hmm. thing we had to war heroes were the guys who just came back from deployment, and so they're like, "Yeah, Dugan, you're going to be partnered with Morales. Teach her everything you learned in Kosovo." And I was like, wow, she's cute. Um, <laughs> so I looked for every excuse to spend time with her, to teach her everything I learned in Kosovo, which took about a week and a half to two weeks. And I was like, oh, no, I I, I did this too fast. What do I do now? And, and so I, I signed up for correspondence courses, which most people in the Army would sign up for these things to get extra points for promotion. Okay. Okay. I took these courses to have content to 
keep my wife engaged with me mm-hmm. <laughs> in these conversations where I'm teaching her what I, uh, what I learned on deployment. And my buddies who were deployed with me are listening to me like, we didn't do any of this stuff. What is he talking about? We didn't, but they never sold me out. I love these guys uh, because, um, you know, they could have. They could have been like, Dugan, we did none of that stuff. Stop lying. But they didn't. Uh, they, I think they figured out what I was doing. Um, when I finally made my move, my wife-to-be uh, was like, what took you so long? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she was like, I've been dropping hints for three months to let you know that I like you. Oh, I was like, what? what? <laughs> I was like, like what? what? <laughs> guys are clueless. Yeah. <laughs> we oh, are my clueless. gosh. Uh, I mean, just she she tells her friends to this day all the different advances she made that I was oblivious to. And and so I asked her, like, give me an example of a hint that you dropped. And she said, Jerry, do you really think I wanted to know how to put up a field antenna or how to use (laughs) infrared chem lights to mark a way for a landing zone? I was like... (laughs) I, I actually really thought you did. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, no, I was looking for excuses to keep you talking. I was like, do you know I had to sign up for correspondence courses just to get stuff? And then I was like, I, I'd taken all the courses I could. So I was like grabbing like field manuals and just pulling out something I could teach her on the fly that sounded like I did it in Kosovo. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, we hit it off really well. Uh, we got married within the year, uh, 9-11 happened. Um, I, I got restationed to Fort Benning. Um, we had a child, uh, she got out of the army though, because the, there was, you know, because of 9-11, there was this demand for her to send our son, uh, to her family while we both deployed mm, and we didn't want to do that to our son. Yeah. So uh, made a hard choice uh, for her to just go ahead and leave the army. So at least one parent would be around all the time. Yeah. Um, a couple of years, I actually uh, think about a year later, we we had Emma on the way. She was our daughter. She still is our daughter, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me clarify. Um, and then I did a deployment to Iraq with 3rd Infantry Division. Uh, and after that, that was sort of the signal in 2003 that I probably should get out. It was just like on my heart that uh, that deployment was kind of just turning me into a monster. It was bringing out the darker side of me. And I just something about my daughter being born while I was deployed uh, made me realize I didn't want my daughter to have any information come back to her that her dad was a monster. Gotcha. Yeah. You know? um, and so it was like, okay, I got to get out of this. And, um, and so I did and became a civilian. Uh, first job out of the army was as an education coordinator for a healthcare organization. Uh, did that for a couple of years, had a bad boss come in. Uh, she fired me, uh, plus four other people before me, all for dumb reasons. Uh, became a real estate agent, almost lost our house a few times. Oh, no. uh, and it was during that time. <laughs> yeah, it was just because I got in at 2006. Uh, it's right before that recession and that bubble busting in real estate. Yeah. Uh, so my timing wasn't the best. Uh, it's kind of like leaving my job more recently and the news saying, hey, we got a recession. I'm like, that's my timing for you. But somewhere in that, during that real estate career, uh, I'm, I'm in church with my wife. I, I was a note taker for the church. So I would take my pastor's sermons, uh, listen to his sermon on Saturday night because we had a Saturday night service. And by Sunday, have a curriculum written for small groups. Oh. Um, so it's all I know how to do church. Like we've moved, we're in a different church now. And um, I still have to take notes when I attend church service because that's all I know. I, I need to jot down ideas and questions. Like I, I write down small group questions and I'm not even involved in the small groups ministry in any way. Um, but anyway, during one of the sermons, my pastor you know, says, you have everything you need to go to the next level in your life. And, uh, you know, at this time sales are hurting, our, our finances are hurting and it just hits me. I've got a GI bill I've not tapped into. Um, and I turn to my wife and I say, I need to go back to school. And she's like, to study what? I mean, we're, we're talking in church. Uh, and I'm like <laughs> to get an MBA cause that's what all the rich people get, yeah. which I've later learned. No, that's not what they get. <laughs> they own the business and they hire the guys, the MBAs. Um, 
And she just kind of looks at me and she has what I refer to as like the Holy Spirit look on her face now because I didn't know it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she just said, no, you need to get something in education. And I was getting ready to think, I was thinking to myself, like, what does she know? I know. And as soon as I thought that, it was almost like God said, all right, Mac. you're being dumb again. Here you go. Yeah. And, and so he hits me with like all these moments in my life. Like I've just seen it replay like a montage. Oh. And it's like my doctor, uh, Richmond, the, the faculty advisor at University of the Pacific telling me when he's looking at my grades again uh, with a below 2.0 average again, like it was like the third or fourth semester in a row. And he says to me, maybe you should think about being an education major because he was well aware that I was tutoring people getting A's and B's while I was pulling off an F in the class. So he knew, the guy knows his stuff. Yeah. He does not want to be a doctor. He is sabotaging himself. He does not want to be a doctor. But that guy can teach because I got people cl- passing this class because of him. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I was apologizing to him earlier. Um, <laughs> and and uh, then, like, in the Army, you know, I joined to be a medic. And every every unit I was in, whether it was in training or in a, a combat unit, uh, I got assigned the role of training others. Uh, whether it was my classmates or Mm -hmm. students, uh, Mm -hmm. I would be the guy that pulled aside and said, train these guys, make Mm -hmm. sure that guy passes the course, uh, that battle buddy of yours. Yeah. We're going to switch battle buddies, uh, cause we're going to, we're going to give you the guy that's failing. He needs to graduate basic training. We're not putting him through again. (laughs) Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And I realized I love that more than doing the actual medical procedures. Um, and so that hit me when I was in real estate, I was the guy that would be tasked with actually running training sessions when the owner of the company was too busy and the sales manager wanted to just go make money and not train anybody. I would be tapped to do that. We're in church in that moment because my role at the church was to take the sermon and turn it into an educational (laughs) tool for small group leaders. I'm like, who would have thought it? My wife is paying attention here. She does know because she's listening to God. She's looking at what I'm doing and she's here to tell me, don't make another mistake with your life and career look at education. So got a master's degree in educational technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been a wild upward ride ever since I got a role with a battered women's shelter, mm-hmm. uh, talked to communities and organizations about uh, domestic violence, bullying, sexual assault, uh, prevention of those things, bystander behavior, healthy relationships. And then I, at the same time, I was involved with my men's ministry. So there was like this parallel of, you know, God's work, you know, helping men be the best men they can be, the best husband, the best father, uh, the best follower of Christ. Uh, from a humble perspective, you know, I'm not a pastor. Uh, this is my own journey. And at the same time, my, my professional gig is let's talk to the community about this. Let's be a positive role model for uh, those families who've never had a positive male role model before. Uh, so that job I had, I would probably still do it if the money was there. Uh, it, it doesn't pay well because it's social services, sadly. Uh, and so eventually I did leave it after about three years, almost three years. And I, I got picked up by a corporate health, corporate healthcare organization, mm-hmm. uh, doing leadership development, uh, new employee orientation. And from there, moved up into a manager role, got poached, to go to another organization. That's how I wound up in Dallas. Three years later, I left the role. And uh, during that time, uh, when I was leaving, my wife and I decided, take three months off, heal, think about what you want to do professionally, and then in January, go after it. Whew. So, (laughs) yeah, taking three months off to start a yeah, yeah now it's it's now like we're recording in January. Yeah. And uh, so in that time, I decided I didn't want to go back to corporate America just yet. Mm-hmm. Let's go write and publish a book uh, that should be out in the next gosh, I think the end of February, early March, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how quickly production goes and how quickly I could pull together a launch team. Uh, and yeah, I launched a company called BTR Impact. So helping servant leaders uh, have impact at work, building their teams up through servant leadership, uh, good communication skills, building that team culture that they want to see in their organization, uh, but also to be able to pursue their li- their careers or their business without losing their faith or their family or their health. Uh, and so that's, that's the, out- that's what BTR impact wants to accomplish. And it's also the kind of the, um, not what do you call that? The, uh, the business side of my podcast beyond the rut, 
And, and during all this time, uh, we're empty nesters. Our kids have gone off to college. Our son and our daughter are uh, 21 and 19 now. And uh, still blows my mind. My son can legally drink right there in front of me. Like, oh, yeah. He's, he's been an adult for a little while, Jerry. <laughs> Say nothing. <laughs> BTR, meaning beyond the rut. So BTR. Yes. Nice. Yeah. So where did that yeah. be beyond the rut come from? Uh, it was the result of two weeks of arguing among three friends. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, so beyond the rut podcast started off with uh, my friend, Brandon. Uh, he was a pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, he still is a pastor uh, and he still is my friend. Um, and this was probably about eight years ago, approached myself and another friend, Sean, the three of us had worked in men's ministry together at a church. We all attended at the same time. And then Sean and, and Brandon had kind of branched off to other churches, other towns. Mm -hmm. uh, but Brandon said he, he just he was getting the same questions over and over from men at the end of every Sunday service. And that was, you know, things like, how do I get my wife to appreciate me when I come home from work? How do I get my kids to pay attention to me? You know, when I'm trying to give them life lessons that will help them thrive in life. But dad's too stupid to say the things the right way. Or he's like, <laughs> like, they won't listen to me. Or or it's like, you know what? I love my job. The pay is good. Uh, it provides a roof over our head, meals at the table. Uh, but it takes away from my family time. I'm missing birthdays. I'm missing uh, yeah. milestones with my family. Uh, and it's because of this job and I can't leave it. Or I can't seem to move ahead in my job or my career or business. Um, and it's just eating us alive. I, I just feel stuck mm -hmm. in life. And uh, so Brandon just had it on his heart. Like if we could just capture the answers to those questions and also share encouragement and hope uh, for, for men specifically uh, in their thirties and forties who are married, they have children, they have all the boxes checked what success should look like, but deep down inside, they feel stuck in a lot in a rut that's that's where beyond the rut came from nice. that they, they feel stuck in a rut but we don't want to just get them out of their rut we want them to make the changes necessary in their mindset and in their life plan so that they're living beyond that rut for the rest of their lives so that's how beyond the rut came about i love it that's actually so true and that's what i see as well like the amount of men that are just stuck spinning their wheels or even don't care to spin their wheels they're just kind of sitting there like surviving, yeah. Yeah. barely surviving. It's like, it's, that's so, so important. And I love the way you just tied together. I mean, from work to relationship with their wife, to their kids, um, how many men even there, their faith is just kind of, it's something that's just sitting there off to the side almost. They don't, it's not an active part of pursuit. So that's so, yes. so important. Yeah. yeah. Especially when they're under stress because of the work, mm -hmm. you know, not realizing and I, I've caught myself in seasons like this. Um, in fact, the reason why I left my job was I was waking up in the morning and instead of spending time in the Word of God and reflecting on it uh, for at least 30 minutes a day every morning, uh, I was kind of just getting up in the morning and getting ready for the workday and thinking about how oh, this project is just so important for us. You know, it's it's got a big radar, a spotlight on us. And, um, you know, if, if it fails, that's like a career ending thing and started to realize that those are the kind of things that my boss was saying, like, this is a career ender if we don't do this well. And, and like those kinds of things I had worked out of my, my, my framework in mm -hmm. my mind or my frame of mind. There we go. That's the phrase I wanted to use. Um, but somehow it seeped in there, you know, like the, the work was the thing that was more important than anything else. And then I just started to evaluate like, what is going on here? Like I've, I've ballooned in size in the last two years. Uh, my wife, uh, no, our kids actually would say to my wife cause they, they would come up and visit. And this was a thing that was a big heartbreaker for me. Uh, my wife's recently shared it with me when I was taking my three months off was that like our son came up to visit. And at the end of the trip before he and his girlfriend went back to Corpus Christi, you know, just kind of pulled my wife aside and said, Hey, are you happy? are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I love it up here. But we, we noticed dad is short. 
And she's like, well, he's always been short. He's five foot four. And they said, no, Molly. (laughs) (laughs) When she told me this, I was like, seriously, like they're having a serious conversation. You still took a jab at my height. (laughs) And she's like, five, five, I could do it. Uh, I was like, well played. Um, But they noticed like that I was like stressed out that I was, you know, I was shorter in my responses, a little more, you know, terse. Uh, I'm just showing off. I have a thesaurus. thesaurus. There we go. I can't even say it. And so my son had said that to my my wife and then our daughter had come to visit us and at the end of her trip said the same thing, had the same conversation like, hey, are you okay, mom? Are are you and dad okay? Are you going to, are you going to stay married? And I didn't even know that this was even on anybody's radar. Like it wasn't on mine for sure. I, I just, I knew I was stressed. I knew that, you know, once I got certain projects out of the way at work, I should be okay. Or so I thought. And, and things just got worse at work, a little more toxic. Mm. And my wife and I are talking it through. Some recent events had happened. And I'm like, this just annihilated my entire team. Like, everybody's going to quit. And I'm going to be the guy left with having to rehire people and answer the awkward question of, so why did you have all these spots open up in the last six months? I can't throw anybody under the bus to answer that. And I, it wasn't my fault. And so like, I, I can't, I can't lie to anybody. And even if I convince people to stay on board with me, they're going to see why, and then they're going to quit. And so I just already saw that cycle was there. And I'm like, that, that sucks. There's, there's no way to fix that. Um, and on top of that, my wife just, she just saw it too. And she said, you know what? Just quit. Yeah. And Another one of those Holy Spirit moments because my wife has always been the, you know, the person like, as Dave Ramsey says, has a security gland. Uh-huh. So <laughs> no. even, yeah, like the plan was look for a new job. And when you find it, leave the one that you've got. Right. That was, that was the plan. Um, but when recent events had gone down, she said, look, you are not happy there. Uh, I've just seen you sleep less. You worry more. Um, there's just weight on your shoulders when you come home from work. And I don't like the Jerry that comes home quit the job, take some time off and, and go from there. I, I want to see a new Jerry. I want to see my old Jerry back at least if I can, if yeah. not, I want to see a new, happier, vibrant, yeah. go for it kind of guy. And and so, yeah, I realized I was in my own rut. Like I was basically needing to listen to my own show. And, and yeah, it's, oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was. And, uh, and I had just come back from a podcast movement. I was talking to some of my podcast heroes and they'd all said the same thing. Like, go build your community, go build your business. You've got a dream. You've been doing this for seven years. You've never monetized. I'm like, no, well, obviously you love this field. You love helping people. Why do you love podcasting? And I was like, I get to talk to some really great people who know their stuff. And as I talk with them, even though the intent is to help my audience, I'm growing too. And then love that probably more so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause like you're going to be on my show uh, in a moment. Well, we're going to flip and record. Uh, yeah. I don't know when it airs, but we're going to record. And that conversation is going to pour into me. And then as I put together the episode, I'm going to hear the conversation again. As I put together the show notes, I'm going to see the concepts again. Mm-hmm. By the time I start marketing that episode, whatever you and I wind up talking about, I'm going to have been exposed to that information four or five times. Mm-hmm. And if you have a book, chances are I'll get a copy of it and I'll read through it as well. Cause I've got a reading goal I need to, to live up to. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, each guest, I get exposed to their content at least five or six times by the time that episode airs um, and doing this show for almost eight years. I mean, it, it takes a positive toll on me. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I am today. I, I left my corporate job in October of 2022, and by January 2023, had launched BTR Impact, uh, already had my first workshop under the belt, wow. uh, got leads for some more workshops already, and uh, launched a book at the end of February, early March. It's all based on when can I get production done. Um, and, and my wife says I've been happier than she's seen me in over a year and you know that's huge yeah so yeah that's that's life in a nutshell right now 21 years of marriage two kids both alive both adults uh really good kids too like we go out to eat they want they like they try to pay the bill and we're like no 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 we invited you we paid (laughs) and they're like um we want to pay you back we're like 
you can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someday we're going to get old and we need your help. <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah, they're like, oh, can we pay now? And you worry about that later. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's amazing. Like the, even the stat I've heard recently, 70% of Americans hate their job. Actually, mm -hmm. that's an older stat. I wonder if it's worse now. Because obviously we yeah. have a complete workforce problem in, in America. So that's like, what does that mean? It means how many men and women are absolutely utterly stuck. Their life is yes. not well, which means their marriages probably are and their relationships, their kids. And yeah, we get, we get stuck. So I think we have a lot of work to do. I think what you're doing is critical. It's pivotal. Um, you mentioned servant leadership. So explain what that means. Um, it's in a sense, well, for me anyway, uh, I first got exposed to that concept before I became a Christian. Uh, it was. Okay. So, yeah. It, so I saw it from a military perspective yeah. uh, at first. So, oh. um, you know, the idea that eaters eat last. Eaters? No, leaders. Leaders eat last. Mm -hmm. uh, Simon Sinek talks about it in one of his books. Actually, he has a book at the same title. Uh, but it really was the idea of like when you went to the chow hall, your squad leader made sure that you went first to get your food. And it's almost like, you know, holding the door open for somebody in a sense. And, and you would see the soldier say, no, Sergeant so-and-so, you go first. And the sergeant would say, no, you go first. And I remember trying to be the nice guy. No, you go ahead. You got here first. You go. Uh, this is what I get for lollygagging. And finally, my friend, who was also my boss, he was like, Dugan, I am Sergeant Rubio during the day. My job is to make sure you are fed and ready for battle. You eat before I do always. And if you want to change it, you go outrank me. And until then, nice. you go first. Nice. And he was very stern about that. And I said, yes, Sergeant. Yeah. And I turned around, got my food, and everybody was like, oh, Dugan got in trouble with your buddy. And I'm like, he's Sergeant <laughs> Rubio right now. <laughs> We're professionals. <laughs> and they're like, are you going to be mad? And I'm like, no, because, you know, 5 o'clock, we're back to being buddies, but he's right. You know, from PT formation until the end of the day, he is Sergeant Rubio. If we're on mission, he's Sergeant Rubio. Yeah. And uh, I'm not gonna ever take advantage of that. Uh, and he knows that, but at the same time, he needs me to at least honor his role to take care of me as his soldier, as well as all the other soldiers that we've got. Uh, and, and so I learned it from him. Uh, I learned it from other non-commissioned officers I'd worked with. Uh, even officers who used to be enlisted, they would do the same thing. Like before they took off for, for a meal, they would just turn and see if everybody had been fed, if they have their lunch schedule all figured out. Um, before we went on a mission, does everybody have their gear, their equipment? Is, does anybody need to go get more equipment? Uh, you know, if somebody's family wasn't squared away, like maybe there, there was a shortfall on their income or... Uh, there was a car accident, you know, whatever it was, you know, is everybody's family squared away because we're all about to leave our families for a few weeks, month, yeah. who knows how long. Mm -hmm. um, so all those things. Uh, and then there was an officer I um, served with when I was in Kosovo, uh, Lieutenant Perkins. I still remember him uh, because it turns out this is before I met my wife. Uh, we both had a crush on the same uh, female interpreter. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And so everybody was taking bets, like who would win in a fight over her. And we we're like, we can't fight over her. Like that's, uh, and he, he just looked at me. He's like, just remember, I have a tank and you're the medic. And I was like, yeah, there's that. Uh, but I'm like, seriously, sir, I'm never going to pursue her. Like I've already thought ahead. Like I'm not going to do a long distance relationship. And he's like, really? And he like cracked his knuckles. He's like, because I will. And so uh, they wound up dating for a while. I don't know if they ever got married or not, but Lieutenant Perkins, a uh, really good guy. Uh, he and I were chatting uh, during one of our downtimes, and he was just like, I heard you wanted to become an officer. Like you put a packet together for OCS, Officer Candidate School. And I said, yes, I did, sir. He's like, cool. Uh, really, other than all the regulations and stuff, there are th really just one thing you've got to remember about leadership. And I said, what is that, sir? He said, you never mess with their three M's, their meals, their money, or their mail. And I'm currently trying to figure out how do I translate that into civilian life? Uh, but really, like, you make sure they get their three hot meals a day mm -hmm. and, and a warm cot to sleep in if you can. But they'll take the three meals over the warm cot any day. 
Uh, so make sure they get their meals or mm -hmm. access to food. Um, so it's that Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of thing. Like their yep. their most basic need to be nourished is being met when you make sure that they're getting food and water uh, on the regular. Mm -hmm. uh, the money is so that they know that the time is worthwhile, but you know they've got bills to pay back home. A lot of the, the guys in his unit had families mm -hmm. and the money was really for them. So it's that like next level up on the hierarchy, you know, that, that sense of, is it belonging or security that that was the money part that family was okay. And then the male was that greater sense of connection, that connection to home, mm -hmm. uh, to friends, uh, to, you know, nowadays, Amazon, you know, order things <laughs> by mail. Uh, yeah. It's just, so it was those three things. It was connection to home and then, that sense of security with their money and then that that most base level that their basic needs are taken care of he said you take care of those three things they will do anything and everything they can to take care of the mission as long as you communicate that mission to them clearly and give them the training and the equipment needed to carry that out but even if they don't have the equipment because you're taking care of the other three they'll they'll get scrappy and they'll find a way to get the mission done i was like wow all right and and every time I've applied that, it, it's worked. And then, uh, then you fast forward to another unit I was in, the chaplain. I don't remember his name, a captain something, but he, he was hilarious uh, because he, the way he would market his services, he was the Catholic chaplain for the brigade, mm -hmm. uh, but he would go around and say he was the people's chaplain and uh, come to the only service that uses real wine for communion. And because on a deployment, you typically don't take alcohol with you. And he said he somehow got the national stock number for wine, got it ordered. It arrived in Saudi Arabia somehow <laughs> in a dry country. And uh, he was serving it, not Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. I'm sorry. Um, and so, yeah, that was his marketing ploy. Like come to the only service that uses real wine for communion. So these little tiny cups of, of wine, uh, which they always ran out of. So he had to switch over to grape juice anyway, but the line around his circus tent would wrap around and go on for like a mile. Uh, and it just cracked me up. He, he probably had the highest conversion rate of anybody when it comes to uh, new believers, uh, but he, he knew how to get people in. Uh, but something about him though, uh, was around when we were going home and he had said, look, your wives have been taking care of the finances and the children while you were gone. And when you come back, you're, you're going to have that temptation to just take things over again because it's your paycheck, your housing benefits and so on. Uh, but just remember you're in this marriage together. You're side by side, not one over the other. And, um, that's both of your paycheck, not just yours. And, uh, that role of paying the bills has been hers for seven months and you don't just take that back. Um, so as her partner, work it through and decide together how you want to transition now that you're home. Does mm. she want to hand it all back to you or let her keep doing it or some kind of blend of the two? He's like, there's no right or wrong answer other than you just yank it back and then lord it over her. Like you don't do that. And so I got, you know, servant leadership from those guys initially. Um, maybe two years after leaving the army, I finally received Jesus as my savior. Uh, took two years. That's how stubborn he knows. God knows. Uh, <laughs> he'll tell you. Uh, and just through that transition, but also attending small groups, getting plugged in eventually in with a men's ministry and, and getting exposed to those images of like Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, yeah. uh, the way he would get. Um, you know, and, and that meant a lot to me because part of my training to go to Iraq was uh, what are insults to Arabic people and to Muslims. And it was like uh, thumbs up was an insult. It was like our middle finger. And to show the sole of your foot was essentially to say you are beneath me. And so oh, yeah. for Jesus to get to the feet of others, he was literally getting beneath his disciples to clean the dust off their feet. And it, it meant it just hit hard for me. I was like, yeah. that's servant leadership. And if headship in the, uh, oh, the story of how I even learned about headship is kind of funny. Uh, but learning about headship to me was I got to be as Christ-like as possible. And everybody thinks of headship as, you know, I sit on a recliner. My wife brings me a beer and a sandwich. Um, at least that was the thought I had. I didn't want to live up to that. I was like, no, that's not oh, the husband yeah. I want to be. That doesn't make sense. 
Um, but then when I started realizing Jesus got on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples, the people following him, that's Christ-like leadership. That's servant leadership. And uh, that's the kind of leader I want to be for my family, but also for any group I lead. You know, that, like, yeah, I've got the decisions I've got to make, but I'm making sure that their basic needs are taken care of, that their sense of um, self-esteem is maintained or built up, and that they, they get second chances. So that grace, you know, like all these elements of how Jesus led his ministry is what I look to when it's like, how do I want to be a leader at work and at home? Well, I love the way that it started out in the military from not necessarily Christian examples, because it does show this servant leadership isn't something like the church has a market on. Others exhibit it very well and others can and, and will. And so that's a neat that it started there, but then to become a Christian and come to Christ and then to see it in a whole new light, especially through the example of Jesus, that's a beautiful um, almost like taking something that was really good and making it great. Um, yeah. That's just a beautiful, yeah. and that, and translating that to us as, as husbands, what does it mean to be, like you mentioned the headship? Um, I meet with couples all the time, premarital counseling and, and stuff and, and have that conversation of as, what does it mean to be head of the house? And I watch the guy dig his grave, like, and the girl just stare at him because they paint <laughs> a really wrong picture oftentimes. And it's like, no. That is a cultural picture that's unhealthy. I mean, it's like you're both equal heirs at the foot of the cross. But at Judgment Day, husbands, you will be responsible for your family. And so it's one of so putting yourself second. You know, I love that picture you said of your sergeant yeah. saying, make sure everyone else has eaten first. Um, that's a beautiful beautiful picture because what if yeah. that one thing no, nothing else that one thing changed in our families in our in america we would change the face of america like it's yes. not these huge big shifts that need to happen it's these little things that could change a whole community a whole it's a whole church a whole city yeah and that was the vision of beyond the rut was yep. um you know on the business side, the plan had always been, let's go into corporations, let's go into businesses, mm -hmm. and let's talk to leaders about the concepts around living a full life around your faith, your family, your fitness, finances, and growing for future possibilities. Nice. However, let's let's kind of be on the down low about it, because like, we can't reach everybody just saying, hey, we're Christians, you know, hire us, because then you don't get into the secular world. Right. But let's, let's get into the secular world and let's convey... Uh, Jesus's lessons on how to lead. Uh, and then we'll start connecting those dots, not just how you lead at the workplace, but what if you took this and applied it to home right. as well? And like, what changes now? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, that both and. It's not either I have a great work life or I have a great family life. It's mm -hmm. how do you have both a great family life and a great career or business mm -hmm. um, because you really have both because wherever you go you are you and if you're a christian in church you really should be a christian in the parking lot <laughs> and uh, a few hundred feet later as you're pulling out of the parking lot you should still be a christian and setting that example for christ and if and, and to me like hearing that from my pastor's dad um, because my pastor's dad was really good about if you were leading a new group of of men he showed up and encouraged you for a year. And once he saw you were up and running and really encouraging others and you got it, he would finally leave you and go to somebody else. Mm -hmm. It was the saddest second year of my men's group when I was leading it, um, which already told me, one, it took me two years to get to the point. But <laughs> <laughs> it also meant that uh, because I had gotten to a point where he felt like, all right, Jerry's got it now, uh, he was now moving on to another you know, group. And I was like, wow. I've kind of arrived in his eyes. Like he's got it in his heart to move on to another group, but man, it took me two years to get to this point. Like, <laughs> like what, what the heck? But he, he said it, it wasn't just for me. I'm like, okay, thanks for making me feel good. I appreciate it. Um, and it was just a really neat guy. I called him Bill senior. Um, Cause you know, even though his son wasn't called Bill junior, it was just, you know, his son was William, but anyway, that's not important. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's yeah, interesting it's just... example that we hold in terms of um, if you think when I think of just husbands around me, just men in my life and other 
places I've lived, the the example I see from the from the eye of a, a child, of a young person, a teenager, young adult, is most of them are going to a job that they tolerate. But then they often tend to have a marriage that they also just tolerate. Ugh. Yeah. It's like, so one of the things that I've really seen is the most pivotal is actually your marriage. When your marriage is strong, like the question your both of your your kids asked, mom, are you happy? <laughs> Something doesn't seem right. Um, I think we don't believe we can actually have a, a vibrant, healthy career and home life. It's really one or the other. And so, so many men choose the career, but they struggle. Um, recently heard another stat of just the, the extreme majority of CEOs are on antidepressants and antipsychotics. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, that's, sign me up to quit right there. No. Why are we playing right. this game? And it's sacrificing something. And you think of the hours required for some of these, these kind of, especially the upper positions. It's like, who would want that? Well, it's not for the person with a family. Yeah. So that, is that really yeah. the tactic in our world? Which it kind of is, is to get rid of the family almost. But how do we have both? And I think we can. I actually strongly do. And I've, I'm, I'm doing it. And I'm so thankful for my family. And I work at multiple jobs. I've never not had multiple jobs. Um, how many men don't, you know, don't like what they're doing? They don't like their life. Yeah. And I think the the it's not funny, like, haha, it's funny, like, odd that we wind up in that place with good intentions. Like, yes, I yes, finally got intention. it. I got, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got the promotion. It's going to be a six-figure salary. We're going to be able to pay off all these bills. Uh, we're going to be able to go on that trip to Disney World. We're going to be able to go here. We can do this and that, and we can buy things now. And then within a few years, you're, like, trapped. Mm-hmm. It's It's like... I have to go to work. Why? I'm now in debt. Uh, we bought a new house. Um, medical bills came in and we weren't ready for it. It wiped out our savings. Whatever it is, uh, there's a thing that happened, some kind of tragic event. And because we kind of swelled up our expenses to the new income, we're now trapped and financially. And we, we just have it in our minds. Like, I still need to earn these things because that's what my family really wants. And, and it's sort of that lie we fi- fall for, because if you talk to the family, what they really would rather have is dad to be home, right. dad to show up to my little league games, um, dad to show up to my dance recital. Um, it, you know, if you're my daughter, I want my dad in the dance recital. And she's done that to me twice. Oh, no. <laughs> she's got it on video. She has shown her friends many a times. Uh, <laughs> I would awesome. still do it. I would, yeah. Uh, high school, too. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, so if um, you have daughters, right? I have one daughter. Yes. One. Yeah. So if she gets into high school dance and she says, hey, dad, we got a recital coming up. Um, got this number for you. You'd be so cool if you say yes and, and do it and just own it. Um, That's awesome. They'll embarrass the heck out of you while you're up there, but it, yeah. it, it's worth it. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I did the sprinkler on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and the shopping cart because uh, she was like all right for eight counts, you get you you dads are gonna freestyle and we're like freestyle what's freestyle and and one dad he's like i got this he's like and he could dance we're like oh man that's freestyle i don't think i can move like that anymore what's going on and so on video i'm like doing the shopping cart and then i'm doing the sprinkler uh at some point i i do the uh was a floss uh it was popular a few years ago because yep. of uh, Fortnite and that got the crowd going because they didn't think a dad could do that and uh, uh, my daughter was cool well she was already cool but uh, that's awesome I, I was just like doing things that's like stuff that that matters to... that's what yes. matters uh, 50 yeah. years from now they're going to remember that not dad was at work exactly yeah my kids have no idea what my job titles have been for the last decade <laughs> yep <laughs> I remember they don't even know in the army i had no idea what my dad did i knew he, we were in ministry yeah. i knew we were missionaries i knew that i had no idea and it's later as an adult it's like whoa what my dad was doing was cool but i yeah couldn't that they remember those moments of the times that they spent together i know for us my income yeah. went down a few years ago i worked at two different universities and my contract went down and we within, I think it was five weeks, had the house on the market and was selling it. 
because we were mm -hmm. like, we are not going to be too tight where we can't live because one of our values was all of our family lives in Texas and we live in Oregon, which means we have to be the ones to make the road trip and afford the road trip. And so yeah. we were not going to, so we downsized really fast and really quickly into a smaller house, into a smaller, you know, different neighborhood and, um, and don't regret it at all because it allowed us to yeah. keep doing that road trips and, and every family's got different values. Some of you, it's a certain sport or it's a certain, or your music, it's something. So what we invest in, invest our time and money in. Sad to say, especially as the dads, moms and dads, both of us are now kind of on that same place now with the dual career families, but your career isn't quite as important as you think it is. Mm -hmm. And it gets even worse yeah. when you go into ministry where how many pastors, their kids are a mess. How many counselors, their marriages are a mess. And it's like, we, we've, we need to really reassess priorities, you know, beyond the rut. I love that, the title of your podcast, um, because we, we've got a lot of work to do there. Yeah. And I think I'd love for men to, to pick up on that, that lesson that you and I are talking about without having to go to a combat zone to realize, yes, like look forward to what the future has in store. Like if nothing changes with how your life is going right now, where is it going to be when you're on your deathbed? Like what is the legacy you're leaving with your kids? What are your kids going to remember or not remember about you? And, um, you know, for me, it was, you know, it, it was a combat zone, you know, just kind of, like the day my daughter was born and I was chasing looters out of my compound and I'm pretty sure I broke somebody's ribs in the process. And, uh, and, and later on I was like burning a family's clothes, uh, just the, the guys in the family. Cause they, it was like my third time seeing them in an hour in my compound. And one soldier came up to me and he's just like, what are you doing to their clothes? And he asked me just repeatedly, almost like Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? That was the kid's tone to me was, Sergeant, what's the deal with their clothes? Um, now, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I was mad at this guy, not because he was challenging me. That was part of it. Mm -hmm. But it was the fact that he was out of uniform in the sense that his gold chain was hanging out of his uniform instead of being tucked in. And there was a cross on there. And I saw that. And I was like, this guy is out of uniform. And he has the audacity to challenge me in front of these guys who've been breaking into our compound all day. And I said something to him to the effect of, you could help me pull security or you could help them rebuild that wall, uh, which would you rather do? And he went with option three, which was he delivered his message. He's going back to where he's supposed to be. Um, and so he just resigned. He's like, no, it's fine, Sergeant. You keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I'm going to go back to my hooch. Um, and it kind of hits, you know, it, it didn't it didn't sink in until like four or five years later when I'm in my men's group and I realize, wow, uh, that was like one of the seeds that were planted in me that day of like obedience. Uh, it was that eye opener of my daughter is born today. Mm -hmm. And here I am making a mother cry, watching her sons be, and her husband being treated poorly by this stranger. That was me. Um, you know, it was just like went downtown for a mission that afternoon and there was like a, a car bombing uh, or not a car bombing. It was a, it was a homemade grenade. Uh, the guy survived, um, but I got to treat him. And there was a little girl there that like, saw I had a camera taking pictures of downtown, like a tourist. And she posed for a photo real quick. It was a little girl, probably about six years old. Mm -hmm. um, and we still have the picture somewhere at, uh, in one of these photo albums. Um, it's in storage, Jerry. I looked up <laughs> looking for the album. I'm like, I only have books in here <laughs> and they're all above my head. Um, and it just like all came together. Like I have a little girl who was born this morning and what have I done with my day? Not a thing I'll ever want to tell her about. Um, and I mean, she's since heard the stories, um, but like there was nothing I was proud of. And right. I'm like, this, this is not what my daughter needs. She needs, um, and I wasn't expecting to go home. Like I was expecting to die. I was, I was the short timer. And if you've watched any war movie, who's the guy who dies? The short timer, <laughs> the guy who's about to get out or was supposed to be out. That was me. And I'm like, and plus I'm the medic, you know, the field in the army that has the most posthumous awards given is the medic. And I'm like, so I'm a medic and I was supposed to be out six months ago. 
I am toast. There's no way I'm going home alive. Uh, I'd even written a letter home saying goodbye in a very slick sort of way. And I'd even said just to cover all my bases, a little, like, it turns out a prayer. I didn't know it, but I said, God, if you're real, uh, you're going to replace me with somebody who will love my wife better than I did wow. and uh, raise my children as if they were his own. And um, oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, all that's all that's going on in my head uh, the day my daughter's born. And I, I just remember crying alone in my hooch and saying, I don't want to be a monster when I die. I need to be different. And so th I just kind of vowed that day, like no matter what I run into, I am going to be the best person I could be. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to respect the dignity of every person. Uh, even if I perceive them as the enemy, uh, I'm just, I'm not doing it anymore. In a, in uh, a war zone. In a war zone. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't receive Christ though, but it, it turns out I was at least going to respect his creation. Well, God <laughs> and, was working in you. The Holy Spirit was, was oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit was leading, guiding. Oh, beautiful. Love it. Love it. Love oh it. man. Yeah. Uh, we get home. Uh, I meet my daughter when she's three months old. First time we met. Um, we're driving home. My wife is driving uh, or yeah, because I don't know where we lived at the time. We had a new house uh, that the government gave us. And and she tells me about a deal she made. She's like, Jerry, I got to tell you something. Please don't be mad. I'm like, sure, go for it. And and she said, while you were gone, I know you're not very religious, but I was praying for you every single day. And uh, I prayed, Jerry, that if God brought you home in one piece, I will get you to church. And the rest is up to him. And you hear, <laughs> and I'm wondering, will you go to church with me as soon as your parents go back to North Carolina and your brother goes back to California? And I was like, well, I mean, you made a deal with God. So sure. I think it, it's worse than breaking a deal with the mafia. <laughs> like I don't, you know, like I, I just got a feeling, you know, it's, yeah. it's worse than breaking the deal with the mafia. Uh, so yes, I'll, I'll go to church with you. And, uh, I think it was probably about a year and a half later I finally like received Jesus as my savior, like tr like truly saying it, not just kind of going through the motions, but truly saying it. And um, yeah, and we got involved that. in church, uh, started attending like a marriage conference called Family Life uh, Weekend to Remember. Been to those, yeah. The, the local director, uh, Joe and Connie Sengler. Uh, Connie was becoming a good friend and mentor to my wife. Oh, nice. So Joe became a mentor to me. Nice. They roped us in to take over for them and <laughs> just for a good five or six years really poured into us, um, having us either work the events or attend the events or both. And uh, just huge template on how to live a biblical marriage. You know, what did headship mean? Um, and, and somewhere in there was uh, like my wife, this is, I, I think the event I'm about to share with you is what's spurred me on and compelled me to say, okay, I need to learn how to be ahead of the family because clearly there's an expectation now I wasn't aware of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I was working in real estate and I was working from home. My wife was going to a Bible study at the time. She comes home, slams the door. She has only slammed the door one or two times her entire marriage. This was one of them. And I'm sitting here thinking, all right, I got both kids to school. Yeah, I braided Emma's hair. No, I, I went with pigtails. That was, that was easier. Uh, they got lunches. They had they had belts. Um, <laughs> on your kids, so they didn't get kicked out. Um, why is she mad? Did I take out the trash? I took out the trash. Uh, like, I'm going through panic mode. Like, yeah. what could possibly have happened to make her this mad? And uh, I can't think of anything. And I could hear her, like, kind of dropping things heavily on the countertop. And I'm thinking, okay, it can't be me. It's got to be somebody else. And so... I was like, hey, Liv, are are you okay? And she comes storming into the bedroom where I was working from. And she's like, no, I'm not okay. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And she said, I'm supposed to submit to you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> she's like, they tell me at church, at this Bible group, I need to submit to you. And, and I just, I know in my heart, I'm not doing a great job of it. And um, I'm sorry. I'm like, Huh? <laughs> like what? <laughs> Wait, um, I I've never expected that from you. Where's this coming from? And so she like shows me the scriptures they were reading out of like Ephesians, and um, that's the only one I remember off the top of my head. 
uh, and just the discussion that they had among the women's Bible group that she was in. And she said, on top of that, you're supposed to be the head of the family. And I'm like, okay, cool. But that makes me feel uncomfortable because I don't think I'm being a very good head of the family right now. Um, you know, we're late on the mortgage. <laughs> it's just like, what does this mean? And and so it that was what compelled me to get more involved with the men's ministry. Uh, when the weekend to remember came to Corpus Christi, I, I really wanted us to go to that because I just I didn't know what headship meant. Um, like clearly, my wife was mad about submission, and I'm like, I I I want to do this right, and I don't want to make her feel subservient to me. That doesn't feel right. And, oh man, just learning about it and learning that like my role is not even to worry about her submission or not. It's about how I'm submitting to Christ and submitting to my family and serving their needs and mm -hmm. the way Jesus did. And I was like, I can get on board with that. Let's do that. Uh, and so that's just been applied ever since. And that was around 2005, 2006. Right. And, um, it's what now 2023 saying we just celebrated our 21st anniversary um and so i'm glad we made that decision <laughs> just well, one thing uh, i noticed in my classes my marriage classes that i do at um, university i teach at um mm -hmm. my students i've been doing it for 18 years and been using a, a certain book to kind of really mess with them when it comes to submission because it's not really done well so they actually remember it and then um, <laughs> when I found a student came in one day, and this hasn't applied 100% across the board, but it's been a, a theme, that the young women that hate the word submission are often the ones that have never seen it done well and biblically, and they're actually in unhealthy relationships or not in a relationship, so it's a, a, a huge fear. And the ones that are like, yeah. Let's do it. Are the ones that were married, happily married, healthily married, or dating someone that was actually a godly man that they would submit to in a heartbeat? And it's like that word is so loaded right now, and still it's been yeah. years. But you know, what does that mean? What does it look like? And it's like imagine submitting to a servant leader. And it's like it becomes a no-brainer. But then yeah. the hard part becomes: How do you do this when? The whole marriage is in a mess. And that's where it gets tricky. And oh, that's yeah. where we need oh, intervention. Time. That's where we need that we can remember and things like that and counselors and our churches to speak biblical truth and to teach it. And um, one of the things I'm coming to really focus on lately is how many even couples that are married don't have a just biblical theology of marriage. They're married, but they've never thought through what does this actually mean? This is actually a calling. This is a sacrament that we actually, it's sacred. And that my ministry is to my spouse, not I get to do, you do you. And it's all about my happiness and my, my, uh, whatever my hobby is or something like that. It's like, this is actually difficult and beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, uh, that was probably the coolest thing for us to learn at one of those weekend to remembers was looking at our marriage as uh, almost like a mini church in a way, you know, like mm -hmm. we got this duty to raise our children up and uh, that, you know, as we grow closer to God, we're also growing closer to each other and uh, we're either drifting closer to God or moving closer to God or drifting apart. And the same with our spouses, we're either intentionally growing closer together or we'll drift apart and you know those analogies and then you know seeing the scripture to back it and, and just really thinking about uh, I, it was at one event i don't know if it was at an event or, or uh, just somebody else had said it but for me sharing with me that you know for me to you know kind of have the mindset that submission isn't as much of a duty-bound thing as it is a response and i was like huh cool because my wife's really mad about it right now like <laughs> tell me more and uh it was like you know think about work you know if you have a leader who is taking care of your needs taking care of you as a person taking care of you professionally uh equipping you sending you forth to make a change for the company how do you feel about coming back to work for that leader the next day and i'm like oh i'd do it in a heartbeat yep. uh, if the company were in trouble i'd 
still work for that person for a pay cut. And, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and he said, great. Now apply that as the head of your family. Lead in such a way that it is a no-brainer for your wife to submit to you, that she would choose that in a heartbeat. Uh, she's, in a sense, re-electing you for the next day. I'm like, oh, like the presidency, right? And, and the uh, guy said, yes, except I'm up for re-election every night. Kind of, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, because I mean, because you could do something that undermines all that trust and all that right. faith. And then now they're submitting out of duty as opposed to well, think as a about, response. I think about if that was 05 where that happened. And then fast forward to yeah. past year where your kids were both seeing something's not quite okay. And you're in a job that's kind of hurting you and sucking the life out of you. And and was your wife silent? Uh, eventually, no. I, I think she took it for a while, just thinking. I think she took it like it was her, like there was something wrong with her. Okay. okay. And and then I think when everything kind of came to a head at the office, she was like, "Oh no, it's not me. It's it's but boss." She, she in a relationship <laughs> with you, so she actually, like, she wasn't just some passive, submissive, quiet, Correct. almost like silent partner. She's in relationship with you, which I think is yeah. so critical. And even the season that you had last year is one that enriches that, where she realizes it's not her in a sense, because we kind of tend to blame ourselves, but but then it's about the us. And then you got we all grow closer yes. because you took a pretty leap, big leap of faith. You are currently. And then it's about navigating it together. And if she has that, as you said, um, was the the security gland <laughs> like they're in yes yes and this becomes a really um stressful season for you guys but you're leaning into the the B btr impact um book launch coming up um and just all those things i think you i love it that you you're going to be able to go to places that definitely i would never be able to go i don't have corporate experience i don't have I'm an educator, but in you know university, Christian university. So like the doors for me are closed, where you would actually be, you know, be invited. And I think that is so critical to think about for others of you because of your choice and career actually have doors open that others don't. So it's like yes, you then maximize that for the gospel, even if you never mention Jesus's name once. You're a light in that community, or a light in that. Um, corporation is so beautiful. Yeah. I think it helped. Um, the last two corporate jobs I had were faith-based healthcare organizations. So the, oh, the nice. first one uh, is a Catholic healthcare organization that mm -hmm. is very heavy handed in that it's a, a healthcare ministry and like yeah. their mission statement. Um, I don't want to, I can say it. Uh, it's to extend the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And they have an entire division of folks whose sole purpose is to make sure that the organization lives up to its requirements to be a healthcare ministry. And um, that was, you know, professionally nice. a great alignment between my growing faith and my growing career. It was like the two are merging together and I get to see mm -hmm. what it looks like when you do it right. But I also get to see what happens when you do it wrong. And, uh, and even the, the organization I just left, you know, it has a, alignment with uh, a Methodist church locally and uh it, it is a ministry still and it has a department that goes out into the community to serve the poor and underserved mm -hmm. and you know the the core values even though they, they're not as blatant about saying jesus christ in the mission statement or the core values uh you could see the influence there from mm -hmm. the local methodist church and its partnership with physicians and i'm like yes mm -hmm. uh, now let's take that and go into companies where they want to find out how do I get people to like us? How do we get people to stay when people are quietly quitting and people are disengaging and we need them to engage. And some folks are thinking it's, we got to force everybody back into the office. Um, others are, you know, maybe we just throw more money at them. And, mm -hmm. uh, and in, in some sense, maybe it's a blend of those, those three M's I mentioned way back, uh, when we first started talking, you know, their meals, their money, and their mail. Yeah. Uh, there's some combination of that that they're looking for today. Thanks to the pandemic, you know, we, we got to work from home again for the first time since the 
you know, the industrial revolution, That's you know, so when true. we were working from home on our farms or in our shops and, you know, our kids were by our side as we were doing the bread for the day or the meat for the deli and, or, or prepping something to go to market. And then the industrial revolution took at least the men out of the homes. Um, you know, wars would do that. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, as, as time grew, you have both parents leaving the home. So it's like, who's raising the kids? Who's raising the next generation? And this pandemic comes along and forces everybody back inside. And it's like, wow. You know, and some parents are like, wow, I got to be with my children while they were in school. And I got to be a part of their education. I got to do this. We got to cut out early because we got our work done. And we would go to like shopping at 3 o'clock instead of 7 p.m. And, you know, life was just good. We did more vacations. We were working while we were on the road. Um, and now we got to go back. I, I don't want to go back. Um, I, I liked this. And I think a lot of folks have reconnected with family and, and reconnected with each other in a way. Uh, well, there were also a lot of people who felt isolated. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the, yeah, it's a whole new world out there. And, and, and you know, I, hope what I, we do, I hope what we do is we take, we look at what we went through the last few years and learn from it. <laughs> yes. Not how to get back to what it was before. It's like, we need to learn from it for all the way companies work, the way education works, the way everything um, is run the way your home is run. Yeah. Um, so yeah. no, we're in that process. We can't remember you know, figuring out just our schedule and we homeschool our kids. And so that's been, so the schooling didn't ever change. It was just the same, but um, other things that we used to do, you know, aren't working anymore. And so you also have like for us, we're in you know, two teenagers and a 12 year old. So almost teenager and, you know, so almost three teens and, that's a different life stage than you, empty nest, um, where life's a, a little different pace, and we each have those different, you know, seasons coming. If if you're if you have younger kids, uh, are you preparing for that next season, or are you hanging on, and things have to stay the same? Uh, that one of those key yeah. words I think there is that flexibility. Um, are we able to be flexible when life happens, when a diagnosis happens, when a financial situation happens. So, well, this has been really, really, really encouraging. I love talking with you. So great, um, Jerry. Awesome. I hope, Jerry. I hope I was cohesive enough oh, for everybody. Yes. Your <laughs> website is beyondtherut.com, right? Beyondtherut.com yes. and the Beyond the Rut podcast. Um, and if you want to go to, I think it was beyondtherut.com slash, what was the slash? Slash goals. Oh, goals. Goals. Yes. yes. So, I'm a huge fan of written goals. I've had a written goal of some kind since I was 14 years old. Nice. Uh, when I told my extended family I was going to do something to change the trajectory of the family. Because um, at the time, we all were looking forward to divorce and living on welfare. And I was like, no. there's got to be a different way. Yeah. It's got to be. I don't know what it is. And I don't think it's joining the Army, even though I did join the Army. <laughs> um, so a big fan of written goals. If you don't have them, uh, yeah, beyondtherut.com slash goals. It's a free workbook. I finally figured out how to make it fillable and you can save it and you've got it digitally. You can print it off, nice. uh, all that good stuff. Wonderful. Yeah. Great. Wonderful conversation. Look forward to further conversations with you. Awesome. Sounds Thanks. good. Thank you. Coming on. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.